Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, and they're excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer. Here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate in for 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, August 10th, and we're talking Roku and Snap earnings. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on? This earnings season will not end. <laughs> no, it's the gift that keeps on giving. We're getting towards the tail end of it, although I will say, Snap and Roku, two earnings takes that I always hotly anticipate. These are pretty interesting companies to me. Yeah, and one's one's bad and one's good. <laughs> It'll be a nice, uh, nice contrast. <laughs> Why don't we start with the bad? We're going to talk Snap here, of course. Um, so Snap did surprise Wall Street when it reported earnings. Uh, they beat revenue estimates by five percent. Company top line came in just a bit over two hundred and sixty million dollars, which was good for forty-four percent year-over-year growth. And really, the story here is ads. I mean, that's how this company is making all of its money, Evan. Right, we're not hearing too much on the hardware side, unlike you know six to twelve months ago when they loved to talk about hardware. You know, it's funny. I was reading through the conference call, and I see Evan Spiegel mention spectacles somewhat early on. He's like, "Oh, you know, we're really encouraged with what we got with this new launch of spectacles." I'm like, "All right, great. Like an analyst is going to ask a question about spectacles." <laughs> Didn't happen. No, no one asked a question about it. I know that <laughs> no it's, one cares. <laughs> I know it's inconsequential to their business, but for them to keep focusing on it, I just think. Some analyst should ask that question at some point. If I ever get on a Snap conference call, I am going to ask them about spectacles. In the meantime, it's, we'll focus on the ad. It shows me how like distracted and misguided they are strategically in some ways. So, yeah, like the, it's not super important to the business, so I wouldn't expect too many questions about it because it's not like moving any needles. But it's just an example of how this company is just does not know where it's going. It's all to say, two hundred sixty-two million dollars in revenue, two hundred sixty million coming from ads. That's where the business is going to be for a while, and that's why the analysts are asking questions about the ad business. Uh, the nuts and bolts of the ad business, impressions were up 191% year-over-year, 26% sequentially, pricing down over 50% year-over-year, 9% sequentially. And I think these are all of the dynamics you'd expect to see with a platform that is still kind of making the switch over to programmatic ads. Right. I mean, they've been working on this for you know, roughly two years, just kind of Getting away from like a really labor-intensive direct sales force, and getting to this you know automated programmatic platform where you can scale much better. Uh, and you know at this point, you know I think they said something like 75 percent of ads, uh, ad purchases this quarter were filled programmatically. Uh, so you know definite improvement in progress on that front. And a couple of analysts were asking about ad load on Snap, and they're basically saying, "Okay, how much more room do you guys have to increase the number of impressions?" You know, like that's been a great lever for them. That's where a lot of this growth is coming from. What does that look like for the foreseeable future? I don't think management gave a super satisfying answer. Um, you know, they were they were being a little cagey about that. But in my anecdotal use of the platform. I think that they still have quite a bit of a ways to go with increasing ad usage. Um, you know, they are not beating people over the head with ad spots yet, so that's certainly a lever they can pull. Right. I mean, the other question is, you know, when you turn to user growth, I mean, 
they're, they're just, you know, so this is the first ever decline for daily active users that we've seen on a sequential basis. So they're down to 188 million, uh, you know, compared to, I think, 191 last quarter. So, I mean, I, I mean, of course, they blame this whole redesign. And as they're trying to become more mainstream and approachable to everyday consumers, they're they're off. They're they're basically putting off a lot of their core users, which is kind of an ironic dynamic that's happening. And that dip that they saw in DAUs that happened in every single geography: North America, Europe, rest of world. So it's not something that was limited to say GDPR. You know, it might be. Some people are kind of saying, oh, you know, we're seeing this with Twitter, we're seeing this with Facebook. Maybe it's kind of increased sensitivity to privacy. Uh, I think the reality is that it has to do with their platform more than anything else. Um, Something that was also kind of concerning on the user side, management emphasized that Q3 growth rates are generally lower both year over year and sequentially than Q2. And if you're trying to work through what that might mean, from a year-over-year perspective, that means they're expecting growth to be lower than 8%, which is what it was recently. But they also posted a, sequen- a sequential decline this quarter. And my thought here is like, okay, maybe they're going to be flat sequentially. Um, there might even be another decline coming in Q3. Right. I mean, I think that's kind of what is really bothering investors right now. Because, you know, stock fell on this earnings release. And, you know, you want to grow the user base as much as you can while you're growing this ad business. And not only are they kind of still in the process of growing the ad business, but now the fear is that the user base is already hitting a ceiling. When you know, Facebook's uh, Facebook, Instagram Stories alone—that one feature has over two times as many daily active users as the entire Snapchat platform. So Instagram continues to execute and just continues to soar in terms of usage, daily active users, Stories users—they hit a billion, you know, monthly active users recently. And now there's just more signs that Snap is already peaking. We got another look at what's going on on the user side with Snap. Uh, they gave us a glimpse of monthly active users. And I think this is the first time that we've seen anything like that. I went back through all of the recent transcripts and saw no mentions of monthly actives. Imran Khan said they have, quote, more than 100 million monthly active users in the US and Canada. Uh, the company has 800, uh, 80 million DAUs in North America, which includes some other countries, just to kind of give you a sense of engagement in those geographies. Um, they also said that DAUs were up 8% year over year and monthly actives were up to their highest rate ever. Again, kind of hard to know exactly what that means. Uh, the obfuscating here is a little <laughs> little frustrating, frankly. It reminds me a little bit of how Twitter handles the DAU number. Yeah, and this is definitely the first time they've ever mentioned the number because we've talked before, but like, they will not. They have never given this number before, uh, which is you know a real you know comparing the ratio of DAUs to MAUs is a really useful metric for investors to gauge engagement. And they have up until this quarter they have never given us this number. And even now they're only giving it in one geography. I mean it's better than nothing. But again, like you mentioned, it's it's still limited in how useful it is. We got another major milestone from Snap Management this quarter, and that's that we're finally getting guidance. Uh, I think that this might be the influence of new CFO Tim Stone, but this is the first time that we are getting a look at what Snap expects for next quarter. And in Q3 2018, they're expecting top line to be somewhere between 265 million and 290 million, which would be good for somewhere between 27 and 39 percent growth year over year. A slight deceleration from where they were this quarter. Yeah, I, I do think you're right that I think you know the new CFO uh, Stone, who's you know re- replacing outgoing CFO Drew Valero, he's probably what's driving this. You know, obviously investors want guidance, and you know he's coming from Amazon, 
and you know Amazon's a very mature large company so um, I mean that was always one thing that was so frustrating is like they had never given outlook before so now that they are I think that's a big win in terms of investor transparency it just gives everyone a better sense of what's going to be going on with the business right like you're not going to have these massive swings maybe to the same extent in stock price that we've seen in the past when they've reported earnings because Wall Street is basing a lot of their estimates on the same type of stuff the same inputs that snap is basing basing their internal estimates on yeah, it's all based on expectations, you know. And guidance sets not only investor expectations, but as well as analyst expectations, and that's how the market trades. All told, looking at Snap, this report and kind of where the company is going going forward, I think that we're at a point where they're getting close to maybe where Twitter was a year or two ago, right? We're seeing the the stalling active users. They're going to be able to continue to grow revenue by increasing impressions, but at some point. If there's no floor for what happens with price declines, they're going to find themselves struggling to grow their top line. Yeah, I think I think you know that's a good comparison too. You know, like Twitter a few years ago, kind of you could you could see Twitter's user base peaking a couple years ago. So the real challenge was then how can they improve monetization? And they've done a pretty good job over the past one or two years, I would say. So if if Snap is peaking in terms of users. Now it's all about can you improve monetization? It's too early to call at this point, but it could very well play out, you know, very much like Twitter, like you're saying. But you know, we just have to wait. And what we saw a lot with Twitter's turnaround story was cost cutting. Um, there was some slowing of price declines in ads, which absolutely helped revenue growth a ton. But but they really got a lot more conservative in what they were spending. And I, I think we're already starting to see Snap make some adjustments on headcount. You know, they shuttered. Um, I think their drone ambitions and, and some of the kind of crazier, more out there things that the company is doing. Maybe this is an early recognition by management <laughs> that this is what they're going to need to do to ultimately become a profitable business down the road. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, you know, so tw- part of Twitter's uh, engagement has really been helped by this political engagement and the kind of environment that we're in. I, I don't see you know President Trump getting on Snapchat anytime soon, though. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> we'll see. You never know. He's good. <laughs> All right, we are going to talk Roku on the back half of the show. Before we get over that, though, support for industry focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days. It's the kind of thing that can cause a lot of anxiety. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process. Here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new, exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate up for 90 days while you shop. Now, here's the best part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Rate shield approval only valid in certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. All right, so we said we're talking about the good and the bad here with <laughs> with earnings, Evan. Uh, so we talked Snap. Why don't we talk about the good? And that is Roku. And this is a company that has really, I think, surprised both of us with how successful they've been in going from conventional consumer tech to platform company. 
I'm definitely impressed. I mean, this quarter they put up some really solid numbers, and as a result, you know, stock has jumped to you know basically all time highs. And I mean, the, they've they've done a really good job, you know, really moving away from this consumer hardware space, which used to dominate the business. It used to be all about these kind of cheap, affordable hardware, you know, streaming media players, and it you know, that is not at all where the future of this company is anymore. Yeah, why don't we talk briefly about how they're making money on the platform side before we get into the specific numbers? Because people that aren't familiar with this company may not really understand it. Right. So, you know, historically, you know, hardware revenue has always been the bulk of the business, and they've been kind of growing this platform, which you know has historically been you know these third-party channels where people will you either you know sell things a la carte, you charge a subscription fee, or you're ad-supported. And Roku gets a cut out of all of that. And the the big change recently was they launched the Roku channel last September, which is their first first party um, channel of content, where it's their it's their channel, so they get a hundred percent of all ad inventory, as opposed to just thirty percent of you know, any ad inventory from a third party channel. So this has already become you know according to the company one of the top five channels on their platform in terms of the active account reach, like how many people are watching this channel. And that was a major concern for us when we were looking at this business and their ability to make the platform work. Because we saw the active users primarily using Roku as a way to stream Netflix. And we were saying, okay, if if Roku's are effectively a Netflix machine, then their ability to monetize users is, is pretty much non-existent. Them going out there and saying, we have a Roku channel, we're going to own and operate all this ad inventory, that really changes the game for them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, because, yeah, Netflix is a huge part of it, and they get basically no money from you know, any Netflix usage on the platform. And Netflix is, I think, one of the top three channels. So the fact that oh, you know, in less than a year, the Roku channel is now one of the top five, to the point where it's at least remotely comparable to Netflix usage, is a huge positive, you know, development. And to get a feel for how that plays out in the financials, this most recent quarter, revenue is up fifty-seven percent to one hundred and fifty-seven million. Of that platform revenue, ninety million, which grew ninety-six percent. Uh, that's pretty incredible. Player revenue also grew twenty-four percent. But this company is doing something that is incredibly rare, incredibly hard to do in the consumer tech space. And that's making the platform play work. We've seen so many companies try to do that and just fail miserably. Right, and you know, with this shift of platform, which is you know much more profitable, you know, we're seeing massive margin expansion. I mean, gross margin is up twelve, almost twelve full percentage points over a year ago, and it's now almost fifty percent. Yeah, that type of transformation as a business is is practically unheard of. The numbers outside of the pure financials, the operating metrics, the key business metrics, also look pretty good for this company. Yeah, active accounts, they added about 1.2 million during the quarter uh, on a sequential basis. So they're now at about 22 million active accounts. They streamed 5.5 billion hours. Uh, average revenue per user was up six, up to $16.60, which is uh, basically a trailing 12-month measure of platform revenue divided by active accounts. All told, this led to the company actually being slightly profitable in this quarter. Looking forward at what management expects, though, they're probably going to be losing money for the coming quarters. Right. So, a third quarter outlook, uh, expecting revenue of about 164 to 172 million, uh, gross profit of 71 to 76 million. Still going to lose a little bit of money, you know, 13 to 18 million. But they were able to raise their full year guidance to 710 million to 730 million, 
Uh, and you know, so basically, you know, they're, they're raising the forecast. They're doing things, you know, you know, pretty well here. So thinking about this company now at all-time highs, coming off pretty solid earnings, the big benefit for them in this space was that they were somewhat platform agnostic, right? They weren't tied to any individual ecosystem. Do we see the growth there? I mean, do you see a pretty long growth runway for them? Does it still exist, or have they captured a lot of the consumer market that they're already going to reach? Well, in terms of you know expanding beyond their their platform, that's kind of where this is heading. You know, so yesterday they they announced that for the first time they're going to be bringing the Roku channel to the broader web and mobile devices. And you know, because up until now all of it's been kind of within their own platform. So the fact that they're now wanting to basically bring the Roku channel to everywhere, uh, which you know earlier this year they said they're going to bring it to Samsung smart TVs, which is now out there. But even outside of you know smart TVs, just to have it on the internet is a huge. You know, has a lot of upside potential because you know, if you, you can think of it like um, basically Netflix, but just a free ad supported version of Netflix with you know maybe not as good original content, maybe a little bit of older material. But if they can really grow the audience, you know I think it sounds really promising. That's the kind of thing also that could theoretically lead to device sales, right? I mean, if they have this owned operated channel that's distributed, people can access it on browser. Um, some companies have struggled doing that. This is the plan for them, though. They could get people to then buy Roku's, build the installed base out, and it kind of becomes this virtuous cycle for them. Right, and I mean, it's it's also worth you know pointing out, uh, you know. They're not the first company to try this strategy, right? I mean, you and I were talking about it earlier, but Sony actually launched a service called Crackle 11 years ago, which is the same idea. You take this old content, you put it on the internet for free, and you monetize it with advertising. You had never heard of this service, <laughs> even though 11 years. And, and that's kind of the problem, is that Sony just completely failed with the execution of this strategy because their, their ad load is just ridiculously aggressive. You can't skip the ads. They're really long. They're really obnoxious. The content is not really that great. You know, so I think the real question is: Can Roku take that idea, balance out these considerations, and deliver a better user experience that's more compelling? I'm actually a little embarrassed that I didn't know Crackle before we were doing the prep for the show. I mean, because I consider myself a reasonably sophisticated internet user, and, and like I'm pretty good at you know finding stuff that's streaming and avoiding paying for things when I can. Um, but yeah, to your point, I mean, I'm someone that consumes quite a bit of media online and had never used Crackle before. We loaded it up on both of our browsers before taping the show. I found that with AdBlock, the ads were not nearly as intrusive as, as without AdBlock. But to yeah, I mean, this is something that Roku is going to have to figure out and learn from the mistakes that Sony Crackle has made. Right. So I mean, I'll admit that I have not used the Roku channel quite yet because I don't have a Roku. But once it's available on the broader web, I'm very interested to see what that experience is like to really get a sense of you know how they're balancing their financial needs with the user experience because i think that's really going to be you know critical to how this plays out in the long run and, and i mean again it's literally just started because they announced this yesterday or the day before so we can't say you know for sure how it's going to play out but I, you know given their execution so far i i would be a little optimistic yeah this is one of the most impressive pivots i think i've seen a company make in this space um everything that i see from this earnings report the thesis is intact, and management is executing on what it needs to execute on. Yeah, I, I was really impressed. This was a really solid quarter. 
Well, I think we're going to close it there. Good and bad. <laughs> I'll set Snap and Roku. Uh, we'll update as there's more to talk about with these companies. Evan, anything else before I let you go? I think we're good. All right, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.